Minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Oh my goodness. Five, four, three, two, one. Welcome into the Mass in All Access podcast on this beautiful Wednesday afternoon. If you're watching live on Facebook or YouTube, you can see that I am not Bobby Blanco. This is where he usually sits. He is not Bobby Blanco. Neither of us are Bobby Blanco. That's what we've concluded. Bobby Blanco got married this weekend. So congrats to him. We've been talking about it for like, what? A long time. I've started the countdown. But he finally got married. She didn't run away. Um... And now they're in beautiful Costa Rica. And here we are, Brendan. And beautiful here. <laughs> and beautiful in front of our wall. Yeah. But at least we have a lot to talk about, Brendan. We do. Um, a lot happened this week. Probably the most exciting week so far of the offseason. Yeah? Yeah, I'd say so. And it all got started on Monday with the Nationals when they released Seth Romero, Brendan. Yeah, not the most exciting news <laughs> for the Nationals of the exciting news that we are going to but talk about. But we have about. to take it from the top. But we do have to start with that, unfortunately, as Seth Romero's off-the-field troubles when he was a prospect in the 2017 draft have continued into his professional career. The Nationals took the chance of taking him in the first round in 2017, hoped that he would turn things around off the field because the on-field potential was certainly there. But the off-field stuff just continued to get in the way of the on-field production, and we never really saw him turn into the pitcher that... He had the potential to be in that draft. Yeah, he kind of started the trend of first round Nationals draft picks. Pitchers not really necessarily panning out, whether it was because of injuries or off the field issues. Seth Romero's issues have kind of been a combination of both, both injuries um, and off the field issues. We found out that uh, he was arrested for a second DWI. So the Nationals did release him. Yeah, I mean... It's not like we had seen incredible on-field production from him anyway, so I don't really think this is a major loss in the organization, but it's more of a loss in terms of what process got you to Seth Romero in that 2017 draft. I think that's the bigger question. Yeah, because the issues were already there at the University of Houston. Um, But then that led the Nationals into Tuesday when they had the deadline um, to add players to the 40-man roster to protect them from the Rule 5 draft. They went into Tuesday with just two open spots, but then they had to make some room because they ended up adding six players to the 40-man roster. Uh, Those moves including outrighting Yadiel Hernandez, Jackson Tatro, and Evan Lee. They all cleared waivers and were outrighted to AAA. And then Tommy Romero Romero was DFA. If you remember, uh, he was a waiver claim from the Rays. He made one start for the Nationals, got lit up, and I think that might be the end of Tommy Romero. Yeah, starting with those outrights, I'm pretty surprised that they outrighted Evan Lee and Jackson Tatro. Those are two of your more promising young pitching prospects at this point. Evan Lee, well within your top 30. Jackson Tatro, not as highly ranked as Evan Lee, but still a pretty good pitching prospect. Looked good in a couple of the games that he got in the big leagues last year. It's pretty surprising to me, Amy, that with how shallow the Nats pitchers are right now at the big league level, we've talked about whether they're going to bring back Anibal Sanchez, who's pitching <laughs> 40 years old. And Paulo Espino. Right. And so to outright Evan Lee and Jackson Tatro, who have both gotten big league experience so far, albeit not a lot, 
it's pretty surprising that you would take that chance on two pitchers who have gotten up to the major league level when a lot of the guys that they protected from the Rule 5 draft and added to the 40-man roster haven't even gotten close to that point. Right, exactly. Donovan Casey and Evan Lee were the two players that the Nationals protected from the Rule 5 draft last year. Um, Evan Lee ended up coming up with some injuries in this rotation, made a start, ended up making four outings before he ended up on the 60-day IL, and that was kind of one of the pitchers that ended up coming up making their debut um, and ended up getting injured. Injured, but the Nationals liked Evan Lee a lot, really liked yeah. his stuff. That's why they protected him from the Rule 5 draft last year and why he was the one to get the call up to make a start um, in, in the middle of the season. So that kind of surprised me, and it kind of makes their journey back to the rotation a little bit more difficult. Yeah, Evan Lee right now, the 29th ranked prospect in the Nationals' top 30 as those top 30 prospects have improved at the trade deadline, obviously. So he's a little bit further down the list. Jackson Tatro not on that top 30, but they're still good young pitchers and it just didn't really seem like you could afford to outright those guys when you don't have a lot of good young pitchers right now. Right. And then, you know, moving forward, Yadiel Hernandez, the other one that was outrighted AAA, does that surprise you at all, Brendan? Not really. At this point, you could probably find an outfielder in the Rule 5 draft if you wanted a younger guy. You can probably make a quality veteran signing. Right now, I can't really see Yadiel Hernandez getting any playing time in the outfield considering you have Lane Thomas and Victor Robles more or less locking down spots and then you want to figure out what you're going to do with Joey Manessis, Luke Voigt. So Yadiel is not really going to DH. I really wouldn't put him at any spot right now in the lineup. Yeah, that kind of leaves the left field spot open, but that's an opportunity. They have the first pick in the Rule 5 draft this right. year. Maybe they'll go after an outfielder, or maybe it'll be a guy that they signed to a minor league deal and they go into spring training competing for that spot. And speaking of which, they already did sign an outfielder to a minor league deal, and Hobie Harris, there's a right-handed pitcher that they signed, and then outfielder Derek Hill uh, that they signed on Tuesday as well to minor league deals, the kind of thing you're going to see for the rest of this offseason. Yeah, Derek Hill, a little bit younger than Yadiel Hernandez, so I just rather give him a shot. Hill's entering his age 27 season, played 31 games for the Tigers last year. Wasn't great with a 559 OPS, but did have a 702 OPS in 2021. So maybe he can get back to that form. Decent defensive center fielder. He's at least an option. Throw him in there. Yeah, his speed seems to be his thing. His defense is way farther ahead than his offense. But if at least something clicks, uh, you know, it's probably an upgrade there in left field. And then um, Hobie Harris spent time in the Blue Jays organization and the Brewers organization after he was drafted by the Yankees in 2015. He spent the last two seasons in AAA. So he might give, you know the Nationals an option, at least be competitive going into spring training. Yeah, I could see him breaking camp on the opening day roster. He had a 204 ERA in AAA last year. Yeah, the walk just over one. Yeah, the walks seem to be the issue, but it looks like he's a lot of strikeouts, ground balls. Yeah, he's a great stuff guy. And as of right now, the Nationals bullpen, not exactly incredibly deep. So Hobie Harris seems like he has a chance to break opening day camp. Yeah, so moving on to the players that the Nationals chose to protect yesterday in the Rule 5 draft. They protected six players. That's more than I thought they were going to protect. I don't know about you, Brendan. Six out of 11 players. Um, And I guess let's start with probably the most obvious one that I think everybody expected them to protect in third baseman, Jake Alou. Yeah, Jake Alou was not in the Nationals' top 30 prospects. So as you're looking at who the Nationals added to their 40-man roster, if you're looking at the prospect (laughs) list, you're not going to find 
find Jake Lou, but he's probably the best player out of this bunch and has the highest chance to actually make an impact at the big league roster last year. Had a 925 OPS in 55 games with AAA Rochester a season ago. He can play second base, third base, and left field. Probably profiles best as a third baseman. If you excuse me, read MassInSports.com this morning. Mark Zuckerman talked about how Jake Lou has a chance to be the Nationals' third baseman next year. Still relatively young, could beat out a guy like Carter Keboom for that position. So Jake Lou, not a surprise given the numbers that he put up in the minor league system. This yeah, year. him and Matt Cronin were the only players on this list that reached AAA this past season. And, you know, those are the kind of players you want to protect, especially one that you really might be your third baseman come opening day in right. 2023. Um, Ildemaro Vargas is another option there. The Nationals reached a contract agreement with him. He avoided arbitration yesterday. Um, and then you have Carter Keboom keep him in the mix but you know that story I mean it's he had Tommy John that's kind of uncertain if he's really going to be competitive he'll get a chance um, but whether that's really an option so you really might see Jake Alou at third base he had a, a minor league best 17 defensive run saves at third base this past season split his time between double a and triple a uh, he hit 20 home runs over the whole season so he has power bat um, I like Jake Alou to earn that spot you know, come opening day. Yeah. And this is the ideal scenario. If you are adding players to your 40 man roster, trying to protect them from the rule five draft, we'll talk about some other players in a bit, but ideally you would like to add players to your 40 man roster that can actually make an impact at the big league right. level and whether or not Jake Alou breaks camp with the big league club. I think there's a chance he does because we did see him play in 55 games in AAA, which is a pretty solid sample size. Mm -hmm. But even if he starts the year at AAA, I can't imagine it would take more than a month of quality play to get him up at the bigs. Right. And right now your only other like, you know, sure option is Ildemar Vargas. He's really more of which a utility guy. Right. Which isn't really a sure option. You'd like to keep Ildemar Vargas as your super utility player if you can. And then maybe they go after a third baseman in the rule five draft, but it's probably going to be the same type of player that you're getting in Jake Alou already. Right. So... We'll see, but the only other uh, position player that the Nationals protected uh, yesterday was outfielder Jamie De La Rosa, and I think this was kind of confusing and kind of not. He's the Nationals' number 10 prospect. He had a really good season. Uh, once he got promoted this year, he had a hand injury, ended up having hand surgery, um, but he's the, the top prospect on this list, but at the same time, he hasn't played a, above a ball. Yeah, and his numbers weren't really eye-popping at high A. He had a 544 OPS. He did rebound, as you said, finished the year really strong. I just don't know if another team is going to take somebody in the Rule 5 draft because when you make a selection in the Rule 5 draft, you have to keep that player at the big league level for a year. Mm -hmm. So you would have to take De La Rosa, who has not played above high A, and put him at the big league level. You could just keep him on your bench and not start him and just try to stash the prospect because he is still a very good prospect, the 10th ranked prospect in the national system. But is another team going to take a risk on having to put that guy at the big league level when he's clearly not ready? I don't know. Yeah. Hasn't played above Wilmington, is only 20 years old, kind of struggled when he got promoted to high A. I just don't see him getting taken, but I guess it's the temptation of the success he found at the start of the season, combined with the fact that he's a top 10 prospect in your organization. 
I suppose the thinking there is, yes, you don't really want to add him to your 40-man roster before you have to, before he's even at the double-A level. But if theoretically some team had an open spot and they could just take the chance, then you just lost your 10th-ranked prospect in the system during a rebuild when you need quality depth right. and you need good players. Wouldn't be a great look. No. You wouldn't want to lose the 10th-ranked prospect in your system. But how likely is it that another team would have actually taken him? I don't really know. Yeah, I agree. But they protected him nonetheless, and here we are. Better so, safe than sorry, yeah, I suppose. It is better safe than sorry, yeah. especially in this situation. Um, and let's not forget, the Nationals are going to have to make some room come the Rule 5 draft. Uh, they have the number one pick in that draft, so they're going to have to make some room on their 40-man roster. Um you know, depending on the amount of guys that they want to take. So, you know, the more guys they protect here, you have to take off on the back end. So moving on to the pitchers that they protected, they protected right-handed pitchers, Jackson Rutledge and Jake Irvin. Jackson Rutledge is kind of another question mark because of course he was a first round pick. Uh, You know, one of the nationals top guys, they've stuck with him through a whole lot of injuries would look really bad if they lost him. But at the same time, he pitched in Fredericksburg all year. <laughs> right. So, again, this is another question of how likely would it be that another team would take Jackson Rutledge? I think this is more likely than De La Rosa, considering De La Rosa mm-hmm. is entering his age 21 season this year, right. and Jackson Rutledge is entering his age 24 season. We saw some flashes of potential when Jackson Rutledge was healthy, so at least that's encouraging. But again... You now have to add Rutledge to your 40-man roster when he hasn't even pitched in double-A. Yeah, exactly. That's not great. Yeah. And then Jake Irvin, he finished the year in double-A. This is another one kind of confusing to me. He started the season really well. He had Tommy John, didn't pitch at all in 2021, but in nine games in Williamton, in Williamton, Wilmington. There it is. Uh, he finished with a 150 ERA and a whip, but just over one. Uh, but when when he moved, got moved up to Double A, the walk percentage went up, and you know. Yeah, 4.91 ERA in Double A for Jake Irvin, former fourth round pick in 2018. The 3.83 ERA across the board is pretty good, mm-hmm. but then the 4.91 ERA as you get up a level is not. This one was pretty surprising to me considering he's not a top 30 prospect. We haven't really seen a ton of potential from Irvin. I get that he was a former fourth round pick in that 2018 class, but the fourth round pick pedigree doesn't really justify adding a guy to the 40 man roster. And again, for somebody who struggled at the double A level, I would have been very surprised if another team took Jake Irvin. I'd also be very surprised if you are incredibly upset that you lose Jake Irvin at this point. He, I wouldn't really put him in the upper echelon of pitching prospects, at least with Jackson Rutledge. I know he has had struggles with injuries and the on-field performance hasn't been great even when he has pitched, but at least he has the potential. At least you're still seeing the flashes out of Jackson Rutledge. You haven't really seen that many flashes out of Jake Irvin. Right. 39 earned runs in 15 games in AA. Uh, The walks weren't really an issue, but he got hit around. And part of it was it seemed like in all of his outings, when he was getting hit around, they kind of stuck him out there. Like he stuck around for five, six innings. So, you know, that has something to do with it. But at the same time, those numbers in AA with the, the combination of that, a fourth round pick in 2018, Eh, I think you probably could have left him unprotected. But the Nationals don't want to lose their pitchers. We know that's a thing. Um, And that's probably a big part of the reason they protected him. And then they protected left-handed pitchers, Matt Cronin and Jose Ferrier. 
Yeah, Matt Cronin, I think this was probably close to a lock in my mind, right next to Jake Lou. He's the 25th prospect in your system, which is impressive considering the fact that he's not going to be a starter. He had a 242 ERA between double A and triple A. He didn't allow a run in 14 games at the double A level. And then he had a 350 350 ERA for Rochester. He would have been taken. He's entering his age 25 season. He is a pretty quality reliever. He's put up good numbers in the minor leagues. Okay. Maybe it's not a lock that he would have been taken, but the nationals could use Matt Cronin in their bullpen next year. Yeah. I think he has a pretty good chance to break the opening day roster. And again, when you are protecting guys, adding them to your 40 man roster, you are hoping that they will be able to make an impact at the big league level. If not right away, then very soon. I think Matt Cronin is a, if not right away, very soon type of player. Yeah, exactly. Come both the guys that you're going to take in the rule five draft. You have to keep them on your big league roster all season. So you want them to be big league ready. Um, same thing with the guys that you're going to protect. He pitched to a 27% strikeout rate and a 10% walk rate this season um, across double A and triple A. Um, he's a left-handed pitcher. He's been a reliever all along, all through college and through the national system. I think we're going to see Matt Cronin this year. I think we should. With the Nationals. I don't think there's any reason not to. And then Jose Ferrer, the Nats number 23 prospect. He had a 248 ERA between three levels in his age 22 season. Really impressive that he got all the way up to double A in his age 22 season. He did have a 470 ERA there in seven games. He'll probably start at double A hopefully work his way up to triple a in his age 23 season he's on a pretty good track i don't yeah. know if another team would have taken him but you can justify protecting Ferrer probably a lot more than you can than you can justify protecting a rutledge or a jake right. irvin at this point who haven't even gotten to the double a level and they're both older than Ferrer. right exactly better stuff 11 saves over uh, 31 games he pitched in the all-star futures game in place of kate cavalli um and we know the nationals need another lefty in that bullpen that's we they, they have gone what two seasons now with one sometimes none with just Sean Doolittle. yeah so you know he got to double a you know starts the season in double a triple a we might see him, you know, by the end of the season yeah. with the Nationals. And he has just equal splits against righties and lefties. So that's a good thing you want to see out of a lefty, right. especially that's going to be in your bullpen. So those are all of the guys that the Nationals chose to protect um, from the Rule 5 draft. Six guys that they added to their 40-man roster yesterday. Um, and then there's a list of guys that they did not protect. Um, Drew Mellis. Yep. I've thought I was going to pronounce it wrong, but I got it, <laughs> Brendan. Uh, Drew Mendoza, Jackson Clough, Jordy Barley, Mason Denemark, and Tim Kate. Do any of those names surprise you? Uh, there's a few, and one that you didn't name as well, Aldo Ramirez. Oh. I don't know if there's any names that really surprised me in terms of the Nationals not protecting them. My biggest takeaway from that list of names is just that it's disappointing that mm -hmm. you didn't have to. And I think that's honestly my biggest takeaway here i'll start real quick with aldo ramirez he was the nats number 18 prospect it's just a name because he's in the top 30 he was the kyle schwarber trade that one for one underwent tommy john surgery in the spring of 2022 i don't think you're really at risk of losing aldo ramirez he's a very good stuff guy but he didn't get past low a salem in boston we haven't seen him in the nationals organization yet drew millis he's the nats number 30 prospect a catcher didn't put up good hitting numbers in double a but he is very good defensively 
I would be surprised if another team takes a chance on a catcher that didn't hit very well in double A, but it's possible just because the defense is really good. So maybe you just live with it for a little while and the defense will be there. So you can just say, okay, we'll live with the lack of offensive production. If Millis is still a quality defensive catcher at the big league level, that's still valuable. But yeah, Amy, as a whole, just looking at the names that were not protected, Drew Mendoza, Mason Denneberg, Tim Kate, that's a lot of high draft picks. Right. Specifically with Denneberg and Tim Kate, that's your first and second round picks in the 2018 draft class. Yeah. And they weren't even really in consideration of being kept. Yeah. And you're probably not going to lose them because I don't see another organization taking a chance on them. But it's just disappointing that you didn't even have to consider adding them to the 40-man roster at this point. Right. I mean, Tim Kate, he struggled in AA this year, an ERA over six. And it seems like his issue's always just been like, he doesn't throw hard enough. <laughs> the velocity just isn't there. And that's kind of been Tim Kate's issue all along in his development. Um, and I think that's why you're starting to see it come through here. Mason Dinneberg, another first-round draft pick. You didn't have to worry about protecting him. Jackson Clough, the hit tool just hasn't come along. We've been waiting. We've been waiting. The defense was there. Um, he's had some really good defensive seasons, uh, but the hit hit tool just isn't there. Mendoza swings and misses all over the place. He has some power, uh, but we just don't always necessarily see that. Um, and the Nationals moved him to first base permanently. And Yeah, and that was a third-round pick in right. 2019. So we're looking at this list, and we've just talked about a former first-round pick, a former second-round pick, a former third-round pick, and a former sixth-round pick. And it was honestly a surprise that Jake Irvin got protected, and he was their fourth-round pick in right. 2018. Right. And I guess, you know, not protecting Drew Millis makes sense. He's a 25-year-old catcher. Um, you know, his thing is he had a good Arizona Fall League, uh, so maybe that would have ca caught some eyes, but... Not enough that I think you would have to protect him. Yeah. Again, I'm not surprised that any of these names weren't added to the 40-man roster. I think it's just... Well, I guess I'll just ask you this, Amy. How concerned are you about the fact that we are now looking at this 2018 class and the first and second round picks didn't get added to the 40-man roster? Your fourth round pick from that class is kind of a shocker that he got added to the 40-man roster. And then your third round pick from 2019 didn't get added to the 40-man roster. And I think what's, I mean, in that we're having a conversation about why are we protecting Jackson Rutledge? Right. I mean, the guys that we did protect were still like, huh. Yeah, Jackson Rutledge, yeah. your first round pick. It was yeah. kind of a fringe protection. And to me, I think it's the pitchers on that list. I mean, that's just kind of happenstance because they've taken pitchers in the first round for five straight years. Um, but I think that's the biggest concern. It's that the pitchers who haven't come along in the Tim Kate and the Mason Dinneberg, Jackson Rutledge, that's my big concern. Yeah. And yet you outright Evan Lee, Lee and Jackson Tatro right. who made it to the big league level. It's just, it's confusing. Yeah. It's, it's the, the draft picks, you know, first of all, but then when we're in these situations, um, you know, that they're not necessarily making the most logical moves. Right. Logical. Is that what we call, we'll call it? I don't know if there's anybody on this list that I'm concerned with losing. Right. Are you? That they did protect or that they, that did, they did not, not protect, protect, that they would lose in the Rule 5 draft? No. I don't think they're going to. No. I, I can't really see anybody from the list of names that will get selected in the Rule 5 draft. Yeah. 
And we're kind of going into uncharted territory for the Nationals because they haven't taken a selection in the Rule 5 draft since 2010. And they haven't had somebody picked from their system since 2014. Um, And I think that says something about their organizational depth as well. It's going to be a very interesting stretch here over the next few weeks because we are entering a space where the Nationals just haven't been over the last few seasons. Yes, the Rule 5 draft protection deadline is always an important date for organizations, but for the Nats, usually you're just much more focused on your major league talent. And so you have to kind of fit prospects in, whereas here we're talking about guys that haven't even made the double A that we're protecting. And the Rule 5 drafts, the Nationals have to be active in the Rule 5 draft, especially with the number one overall pick. We haven't done a deep dive into some of the players that are going to be available in that rule five draft, but you would have to imagine that having the number one overall pick, the nationals should select somebody that could make a big league impact. And then as far as position wise, what do you think the nationals are looking for? We talked about at third base, there might be an opening for some competition there. Um, But you know, you might have Jake Alou, you have, Ildemar Vargas back. Maybe you have Carter Keboom back. Um, that's kind of hard to tell. You have an outfield spot open uh, now in, in left field realistically because the options there. Alex Call, I mean, I just don't think that's realistic. Yeah, if I'm looking at the Rule 5 draft specifically, I'm thinking back to some of the players that were eligible a season ago when there was no Rule 5 draft, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. When the Orioles had the number one overall <laughs> pick, Paul Mancano and I were talking about some of the potential selections. And if we're talking about maybe the Nationals needing an outfielder. I think back to the fact that Oscar Gonzalez was Rule 5 eligible a season ago. If the Nats could get a player of the caliber of Oscar Gonzalez, that's a long-term starter. Mm -hmm. So you have to take a very hard look at the top of that Rule 5 draft. I would like to see the Nationals select at least one player in that draft. 100%. I don't think there's any way you can just pass on your selections there. Whether it's an outfielder or a pitcher... I think that's kind of a toss up. I think you need both at this point. So just kind of go for the best player available, I'd say. Yeah. I mean, we were going back to our conversation before. I mean, right now the rotation, we're talking about whether it's going to be Paulo Espino in there. Anibal Sanchez is going to be back. Um, So really the rule five draft would be a good opportunity to get, you know, some kind of arm that you can give a shot, um, especially if you're going to outright, Evan Lee or Jackson Tedro, who both debuted this season. <laughs> I, yeah, let's go back to that for a minute because I'm still confused about the fact that you outright Evan Lee and Jackson Tetro. If you were looking at the starting rotation for next season and talking about a potential theoretical five, you've got Josiah Gray, Cade Cavalli, and Mackenzie Gore that you are hoping are healthy enough and good to go to be in your starting rotation for next year. I would have thought that when you're looking at the number four and number five starters, not that it would be Evan Lee and Jackson Tatro filling up those spots, but it's possible that at least one of them would have taken the number four, number five starter role in that rotation if Eric Fetty doesn't come back on Friday for the non-tender deadline. And I don't know if it, it, it's, you know, a question of health, um, but it seems like, you know, Evan Lee's going to be back at the at, during spring training. So 
I just don't get it. And if your whole strategy is to be, you know, drafting and developing these young pitchers, Evan Lee was a perfect example of that. And the closest thing that the Nationals have had to a success story out of all of these names, um, you know, came up, made his debut, unfortunately got hurt, uh, which was the same conversation we had with Kate Cavalli and a a lot of these other guys. Um, But it seems like, you know, that's one of those guys that you give a chance. I mean, your rotation is going to be young anyway, and Mackenzie Gore, but that's just Josiah Gray, but that's just, you know, the state of affairs. And they were clearly the starters that you thought most highly of within the organization, or at least thought that they had the best chance to succeed at the big league level last year, or else you wouldn't have had them kind of leapfrog a few steps to get up to the big league level. Clearly they thought that they had pitched well enough and were at least close to ready to get into the big leagues. I just don't get it, Brendan. Me neither. I just don't get it. (laughs) But that's kind of, you know, been how it's been with a lot of moves, especially, like I said, with pitchers. A lot of these moves just don't really make sense. Yeah. Well, one of the moves that they did (laughs) make, they agreed to a contract with Ildemaro Vargas, avoided arbitration. That deadline is Friday. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about some of the players that the Nationals could tender contracts to. I think there's just a lot of slam dunk no-brainers. Yeah. I'm going based off of the projections for MLB trade rumors. Carl Edwards Jr. for $1.6 I think you give yeah, that contract a no-brainer. Victor Robles for $2.5 I know Robles has not <laughs> been fantastic, but $2.5 just not a lot. Tanner Rainey, $1.5 Hunter Harvey, $1 million. Victor Arano, $1 million. Lane Thomas, $2.1 And Kyle Finnegan, $2 million. Those are all no brainer. Yeah. If that's what they get in arbitration, you easily bring them back. Yeah, 100%. Especially when we're looking a lot of those bullpen arms. I mean, those are, you know, small contracts that the Nationals are going to, that's how they're going to have to build their bullpen this year. Uh, but a lot of those arms, especially in the Carl Edwards Juniors and things, were some of the, the best spots on this whole roster this past season. Right. So there's two players that I'm looking at for this deadline on Friday, Amy, that are question marks about whether or not the Nationals will give them contracts. That's Luke Voigt, who is projected to make an estimated $8.2 million in arbitration, and Eric Fetty, who is estimated to make $3.6 million. Eric Fetty, I think, is the biggest question mark. In my opinion, what are you going to get out of Eric Fetty that we haven't already seen? Yeah, I don't think it's a question of whether or not you want to give Eric Fetty $3.6 million. That's not a lot of money. Right. So if you want to bring him back, then the $3.6 million isn't really a question. The question is whether or not you want to bring him back. Right. But then when you look at the moves of... of um not of <laughs> Evan Lee and Jackson Tatro. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. So then that makes it a little bit more confusing. So then it is, are we going to rely on Eric Fetty again to be the fifth arm or even fourth arm uh, in this rotation? I mean, I guess those moves would indicate that they want to yeah. bring Fetty back. I know the price tag isn't hefty, but is Eric Fetty even a, wouldn't you just rather put that three and a half million dollars towards signing somebody for eight million dollars that's going to be better than eric fetty yeah and then luke voigt i mean he proved this season that he can't be your everyday first baseman he's not good defensively yeah um so you're paying for a dh um and we know how what happened when we (laughs) paid for the nationals paid for a dh this past season yeah 8.2 8.2 million is a, a lot of money is a good amount of money. Yeah. I think Luke Voigt is worth 8.2 million. 
the question is whether or not that's worth it for a Nationals team that is rebuilding, not going to be making a playoff push. If you're a contender and you can get Luke Voigt for $8 million to come in and be a platoon bat, a DH who's going to come in against left-handed pitching, maybe he only plays 80, 85 games for you. But Luke Voigt is going to give a contending team value for $8 million. Does he really give the Nationals exactly. $8 million of value? If he wasn't, I mean, if he could play first base, and I think we're talking about a different story. Well, he can, just not Not a great well. first base. And we know that Joey Manessis can play a better first base. Right. Um, and I think that's kind of figured itself out through, you know, over the course of the season that he's going to be your first baseman. Yeah, and on a rebuilding team, when you try to work in as many prospects as possible and just try guys out and see if they are worthy of a big league roster spot, do you want to have Luke Voigt on your roster being your everyday DH, blocking other people from getting opportunities? It's the Nelson Cruz discussion from a season ago where Joey Manessis could have been getting more everyday reps than he was getting, but Nelson Cruz was there playing DH every once in a while. You could have seen what Joey Manessis had at first base a little bit earlier on if Nelson Cruz wasn't playing. Now, unfortunately, he got injured, and then we were able to see Joey Manessis, but we could have seen it earlier. Yeah. Why were you still playing Nelson Cruz that much? Exactly. I mean, at the beginning of last, or even when we found out that there was going to be a universal DH, I think everybody thought that it was just going to be a platoon of players. And, you know, the Nationals were just going to cycle through guys, give them a chance. Maybe somebody sticks. Um, but, you know, give give everybody a chance at the bats. You have all these young prospects. Um, then they signed Nelson Cruz. And you know how that story went. So I just don't think it makes sense to pay a DH, um, you know, given the state of the rebuild, that much money. That being said, I still tender him a contract. contract. I still give him 8.2 million in arbitration. There's, I don't think there's any reason to believe that we will see a similar drop off in production from Luke Voigt as we saw to Nelson Cruz. Obviously, Nelson Cruz was a lot further on in his career. Luke Voigt is not. My other question is, what does this lineup look like without Luke Voigt in it? Right. I know Joey Manessis was spectacular last season, and hopefully Joey Manessis is able to continue that run in 2023. But there's going to have to be a little bit of drop-off, just realistically. Realistically, Joey Manessis is not going to hit like Babe Ruth for the entire 2023 (laughs) season. Luke Voigt is your most established hitter in the lineup. He is a quality veteran presence that has been a part of multiple winning teams, And I think even if you don't really want to give him $8 million in arbitration, there's something to be said for not only the value that he brings you on the field, even if he's not great defensively, there is something to be said for the value that he brings you in an incredibly young clubhouse as probably the only established power bat in the lineup. I think that in itself has value. And that's a big part of the conversation. I know Bobby and I talked about it last week. If when you're deciding whether to tender contracts to these guys or not, especially the veteran players, you know, you have to have a balance. If you're going to have all of these young guys, you have to have some veteran presence. Uh, And Luke Voigt is one of the guys that does that similar to what Nelson Cruz brought last year. And I think you can argue on both sides. If you're talking about, you know, you gave Nelson Cruz that much money last year. Why not? give Luke Voigt, who is more proven, even proven on your roster in this last season, you know, a little bit less. There's also the opposite side of that, where it's like, look at what you did. You gave Nelson Cruz all this money to be your everyday DH. He wasn't able to do that. You know, why fall down that same rabbit hole again with Luke Voigt? 
But Luke Voigt's more proven. You saw it last year. And I think there is a better chance that you could flip Luke Voigt at the deadline than you could flip Nelson Cruz at the deadline last year. I mean, theoretically, going into the year, you were pretty confident that you could flip Nelson Cruz. Obviously, that didn't happen. This is a much lower risk than you were taking with Nelson Cruz. I think you can probably get something for Luke Voigt at the deadline. Yeah, and that's another you know our, our um, conversation when you're talking about these guys is which one of these guys can you flip at the deadline? Like maybe you're looking to flip Carl Edwards Jr. if he has a good first half of the season. You know, maybe you're Victor Robles somehow does right. something in the first half of the season. You you can flip him at the deadline. Luke Voigt another one of them and usually in a situation like this we'd be talking about not wanting to give Luke Voigt a contract because you don't want to block anybody right. who is coming up from taking that spot but but who is taking that spot right now there is really nobody banging at the door at the triple a level right now if you look at the nationals top 10 prospects or so robert hassel is really the only one that i could realistically see making his big league debut in 2023 and he's an outfielder yeah. So Luke Voigt doesn't really block him there. And even if you wanted to make the case that he does, you could flip Luke Voigt at the deadline by the time that Robert Hassel might be in the big leagues. But there's not really another position player in the Nationals' top 10 prospect that's going to make his debut this year. Right. I mean, Elijah Green, James Wood, Brady House, Christian Vaccaro, Jarlin Susan, he's not a position player, excuse me, but Green, Wood, House, Vaccaro, they're all a very long way away. We've been talking about a lack of depth in the system, especially infield depth for a long time. They've added a little bit. Um, but, you know, like the next person you might see at first base, Drew Mendoza, and we already had that conversation. Um, so, you know, that's not really doesn't have to be a part of the conversation. So, you know, that just gives you more reason to tender Luke Voigt a contract. So we think Luke Voigt is back. I think I would tender Luke Voigt a contract, <laughs> but I don't know if the Nationals are going to. But it makes sense. It would make sense to me if they did. <laughs> I agree with you. But Eric Fetty, to me, I'm voting Eric Fetty a no. I would say no for Eric Fetty. You know exactly what he's going to give you, which is just not a very good starter at this point. I know Eric Fetty had some theoretical potential over the last few years. I think he has had more than enough opportunities to see that potential play out. I would rather give that spot to an Evan Lee or a Jackson Tatro. And of course, there are three young pitchers that should be at the major league level this year. They should be getting consistent starts. I don't really see Eric Fetty as a part of this rotation. Right. And then everybody else on that list, most likely back. Um, it's pocket change. And those are the kind of contracts that the Nationals, you know, need to be signing moving forward because, well, it's less money they have to spend in free agency. And all of those guys were successful this year. Yeah, Luke Voigt, really the only one that's making a substantial amount of money. Right, exactly. So that'll be interesting. The deadline for that is Friday. Um, so we'll see what the Nationals do there. But they made their moves, adding to the 40-man roster. They're going to have to do some more work on the 40-man roster, depending on how many guys they want to pick um, in the Rule 5 draft. That's at winter meetings in December. I believe it's December 6th. Yeah, Brendan? It's one of those days. Check the calendar. We'll add it it's to sometime it. in early December. Anything else you need to talk about before we get out of here? I mean, we did talk about a kajillion roster moves. Yeah. I think, I think if we've covered it. your spinning, so is ours. Yeah. Yeah. Nationals obviously have not made any moves in free agency yet. Yeah. Don't expect them to be big players. It'll be minor league contracts, you know, 
like we saw in right. the Hobie Harris, uh, Derek Hill, you know, those kind of moves, guys that might prove themselves in spring training and prove themselves worthy to make the roster. Yeah. Come opening day. Uh, thank you for tuning in to the Mass and All Access podcast. Uh, Bobby Blanco will be back next week, but hopefully Brendan will be back soon because this was kind of fun, Brendan. Now I'm almost a regular yeah. at this point now. Yeah. This is my yes, second is podcast second. in three weeks. And it's only my second podcast in our new set. So I think we're all tied. We're yeah. going to make it a competition now. Maybe we can keep tally on the wall. That's one of our new wall designs. Yeah. We just tally who has been Maybe on the podcast. Bobby, Brendan. <laughs> the ghost of Tim Leonard. Yeah, yeah. so stay tuned for that. Uh, but like, subscribe, <laughs> Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts is my least favorite part, Brendan. This is where we Spotify, do SoundCloud, Bobby back, the other back. ones. Yeah, all of those. Like, <laughs> subscribe. Um, and we go live every Wednesday at one o'clock now. So you can uh, join live on Facebook and YouTube. Thank you to Paul Mancana for producing Behind the Scenes. To Brendan, I'm Amy. Thanks for tuning in.